Good morning. I'm glad to be with you today. Um, turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go right to the text. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, we see what Paul writes. He said, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Um, That's not an unfamiliar verse to most of you or all of you, unless you're here in church for the first time and and uh, you've never run into this but uh, this is this answers a critical truth uh, for us um, how do I get to, how do I get to heaven how do I how am I justified before God um, the word justified comes from the root word righteousness in Greek, and uh, so literally, how do I have the righteousness of God placed on my account? And uh, that's what he means here by, by being saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ um, and him alone, um, you're, Paul says, you have been saved, um, and he uses the, the perfect tense at this point for the word saved. Um, and I know that all of you don't read Greek, but that's okay. Um, I'll explain it to you. The perfect tense means it's something in past time. Uh, in English, we have past, present, and future. I, I went to church last week. I am at church this week. I'm going to go to church next week. That's past, present, and future. In the, in, in the Greek writing of the New Testament, there were six ways you could say something in past time, and they did it, they did it that way. To, God did it that way to be specific. And here he's saying, this action in past time that I was saved at a point in time in the past the effects of that and the benefit of that are continued on to the present. And uh, so the fact that you have been saved and it continues to be a force and, and real and true tells you that you can't, this, this one, one word and this one tense says that you can't lose it. Uh, and then you surround it, you surround this verb with grace and faith, how do you get grace from God? The unmerited grace is the unmerited favor of God, the blessing of God given to you undeserved. You get something you don't deserve. If we got what we deserve, uh, what would that be? It would be the lake of fire forever. Uh, We deserve judgment uh, for our sin. If we only had one sin... That would be enough, but we have sinned in our words, our actions, our thoughts, and uh, more than we can think or count and, or ever remember. Uh, and uh, 
How many sins did Adam and Eve commit in the garden that got them thrown out of the garden? Just one. That's all it took. Because that unrighteousness, God is a righteous God and he can never have fellowship with sin. So the fact that whether we have one or we have 100,000, I mean, in that's probably where I am. I'm, I'm in the hundreds of thousands category. Uh, just in my thoughts, they can... So easy to have selfish thoughts. Um, and, uh, and he says, by grace you've been saved through faith. How do we access this salvation? One way, through faith. So the question is, if I get it by faith... How are works involved? And he says, this justification, being justified by God, uh, that God puts his righteousness on my ledger, in my account, um, that's not from myself, he says. It doesn't come from me. It's God's gift. If you, the text, I think, was before you, wasn't it? You had it on the screen. No, we don't. We can't get it on the screen. Okay. In the New American Standard, they've been faithful to put it is in italics, meaning it's not in the text. And so what is emphasized is not what's left out of the text, but is what is, remains in the text. So he says, it is the gift of God, or literally, God's gift, the gift of God. So he, he comes along and he says, you've been saved by grace through faith. It's not from you. It's God's gift. It's God's gift. Leaving the, leaving the verb to be out, that it is is not there. So the emphasis is on the fact that it's God's gift to you. That should... Leave us in awe and wonder and, and gratitude that God would give us such a precious gift, that he would give righteousness to us. As a, and uh, it is not, he says in, in uh, verse 9 then, not as a result of works. It's not from any works. Literally so that not one can boast. Not anyone can boast. If you could add one thing to the gift of God... For righteousness, you'd have something to brag about. And God said, no, this is my gift to you. Because you could never produce it on your own. It's incapable of doing it. Now, we covered that uh, yesterday with the pastors in a lot more detail. And uh, I want to explain to you today how... Works are a part of your life, not to have the righteousness of God put to your account, but what you get to do in your life, look at verse 10, what you're designed for. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God 
has prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Paul says that we have been saved by grace through faith, but we, have, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. The word workmanship is the Greek word poema. What does that sound like? Poema. What does that sound like? That's right. See, you are a Greek scholar. Uh, sounds like poem, and that's one of the uses that it, very common uses of this word. Uh, it, it means to have a detailed workmanship of something, a detailed, you know, like. You ever thought about how those guys build a ship inside a bottle? Is that nuts or what? Humans do the craziest things. And I cannot think how in the world they do that. It's so detailed and it's inside a bottle. And that takes somebody's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. You are not the product of evolutionary time plus chance. That's a lie. You are the direct product of the all-knowing, all-powerful, infinite God of heaven that made everything. God made you, and he made you special. There's no one else like you. He crafted you with, and, and literally, think of it this way. When did he, when did he, he said, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. What's beforehand? Where does that take us? Before what? Before creation. In eternity past, and that right there blows my mind. I, I try to imagine eternity. Without time and space. I can't get it in my head. Uh, in eternity past, God sat down. Of course, he can't sit down. Um, and he, he's always had this in his head. It's so hard to describe God. Uh, He wrote out a poem, I guess in longhand, I don't know. Uh, Before the world began, he wrote out a poem describing your life and the good works that you should do. Wow! What does that tell me and you? That tells me that you have purpose in life. That tells me you have meaning in life. As a teenage boy, uh, I, I was struggling with so many things. I did not know Christ. And I, was, I had deep inferiority feelings. I had loneliness. I had lack of purpose and lack of meaning. And those, those lack of meaning and purpose were created a hole in me. It was terrible, and I, I didn't know I could trust God. I wasn't sure I could trust God. I, I knew about church. I knew about the Bible. I didn't read it, uh, 
I attended church some, and, and uh, I went to a Young Life conference, and I learned that God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And the vast magnitude, as I contemplated, of God's love, that vast magnitude, how big God's love is, overwhelmed me. And I realized if he loved me that much, he wouldn't ruin my life. I was always afraid that God, if I gave God my life, he'd ruin it and make me a missionary in Africa. (laughs) He really knows how to ruin your life. God knows what you're designed for. He knows how you're made because he put you together. He gave you your package. Your package is not like anybody else's package. It contains talents from your first birth. It contains gifts from your second birth. It contains energies that you alone have the package for. It, can, it has opportunities. There's so many things that are in, they're involved in making you you and putting you on this earth to do something. You're here to, to accomplish something that God has designed and written out about you and said, here, have a life. I've got it. I really have a life for you, a great life. If God would go to the trouble to write out a, a, a life for me and for you, that means you are special and important. And you need to... And you need to Live that life. And you can. It also means you can live that life. You can do what God has made you for. Uh, turn, turn over to uh, John 5. John 5, let's start reading in uh, verse 17. He says... Jesus answered them, uh, my father is working unto now and I myself am working. Uh, For that reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Uh, Now, why why could Jesus make himself equal with God, the father? Because as, as a member of the Trinity, he was equal with God. He was also in submission to God. So uh, being in submission does not mean you're not equal. It means you're under someone. And uh, so uh, the Son of God was willingly submitting to God the Father even though he was equal. And the the Spirit submits to the Son even though he is equal. Uh, Jesus says... Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. God wanted Jesus to do things, miracles, and Jesus was only doing what the Father told him to do because he was in submission. And he wanted them to... To marvel at, at the goodness of God to send his son for us. And he says, for not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. The word given is, again, in perfect tense. He has, God the father 
has given all judgment to the son. It remains the son's responsibility. No one else will be involved in, in being the judge of any of us. It will only be the Son of God. God the Father will not do it. God the Spirit will not do it. God the Son will do it. And he, all judgment is his. And that's the reason why God did that. As he goes on, he gives the purpose. So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. A person cannot say, I worship God. I don't worship Jesus. God won't have it. God will not accept it. If you don't come to God through his son, he will not accept your worship. He will not accept you. You have to come through the son. The reason is so that all will honor the son because God said, I've sent my son from heaven. He took on human flesh. He became one of you. He became a man. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. He, lived, he taught the best, the best teaching that's ever been taught. But more than anything else, he came to die and he went to the cross. And God took all of our sin, every word, every thought, every action, all of it. And he nailed it to Jesus. And on the cross, he paid the penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So what did he do on the cross? He died. He took the penalty that I deserve And he died in my place. He died in your place. And so God said, because of that, you need to honor the son. You have to come to me through him. You have to come. You cannot come any other way. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. So how do you go from judgment and death into life? One simple thing only, trust Jesus. We're, Paul says we, are dead in our tre- we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. He said we were dead, but God made us alive. How did he do that? We put our faith in Jesus, and we went from dead to alive in a New York nanosecond. I don't know how long that lasts, but real fast. Uh, Not even a whole second, just a part of it, just the split second you trust Jesus, and that's what faith is, that's what belief is. Uh, You're sitting in a chair, you're trusting that chair. It's made well, and it's holding you up. I'm, later on tonight, I'm going to get on an airplane, fly back to Florida. I'm not even going to worry about it. Just like you, when you fly in a plane, you don't worry about it. You know that Boeing made, did a good job, and the pilot is, uh, is, is qualified, and you're going to get in there, and you're going to sit down, and you're going to put your... And pretty soon, you're going to drool right out of the side of your mouth... And you're going to be asleep because we trust the pilot and the plane. You put your faith in them. We believe in it. If we didn't believe in it, we wouldn't go get on that plane, would we? The same is what you do with Jesus. You trust him because he's trustworthy. And he will do. You trust his promise to you 
that if you trust him, he gives you eternal life. And so all you do is put your faith, yes, Jesus, just like the woman in the previous chapter in John 4, the woman at the well. Jesus said, if you knew who it was who was standing in front of you, you would ask him and he would give you living water, meaning eternal life. She said, she didn't even understand what she was asking for. But she said, I'll take some. And he had a nice conversation with her, and she got it free. She didn't earn it. She was, she was a sinner, like all of us. And she was freely taken in by God that day. And he gave her eternal life. Jesus gave her eternal life. And he will give it to us. All we have to do is ask him for it. Trust him. And we go from death to life just like that. Uh, turn to 1 Timothy 4.1. But the Spirit... Um, Let's see, that's Second Timothy 4.1. I only make mistakes when I talk. <laughs> Actually, more than that. Um, Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So there's, Paul says there's, he's going to judge two groups, the living and the dead. So we ought to, that's, that's what we ought to find in the Bible. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. There's no mistakes in it. And so we ought to find a judgment for the living and a judgment for the dead. So let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter 20. And uh, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, uh, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. This is by far the, the most tragic and saddest, and I don't even have the right words in my vocabulary to describe how much this passage torments me. And I'm not going there. But it torments me that there are a couple of billion people that have never heard the gospel, and if they don't hear the gospel and trust in Christ, they're going to not make that transition. They're going to stay dead, and they're going to go through this judgment at the, at the great white throne, and they're going to end up in the lake of fire. Here you have a picture of Jesus on the throne, this great white throne, Earth and heaven are gone and hanging there in 
it's not in space because there's none uh, hanging there somewhere, uh, is the great white throne, and it's huge. And there's two sets of books. God doesn't have two sets of books because he's a crooked accountant. He's looking at two different things. In the, there's a, there are books that contain it, what we've done, and there are books. There's one book called the Book of Life. And when you trust Jesus, your name's written in the Book of Life. You go from death to life, logged in. Bob Tebow, December 28, 1964, went from death to life. Name's in the book. I like that. I want to go to heaven. It's free. And I'm not going to the lake of fire. But God said, I'm going to give you the opportunity to invest your life in the greatest, act, in the, in the greatest uh, activity that takes place on the earth. And that is, you're going to get to go and share the message with somebody else. And they're going to believe and go from death to life. And you get to be involved in it. And I'm going to give you the stewardship. Paul said, I, God has entrusted this message to us. And we get to represent him in this world. That's why he calls us, in one passage, he calls us ambassadors. We get to represent God and take the love of God and the promises of God and the gift of God and share it with people. We're not, we're not God and we don't, we don't have the power to do any of it. But we get to tell the message. And God's not going to tell the angels to go do it. If he gave them the instruction to do it, they would have done it already and completed the Great Commission. We're, we're seemingly getting farther behind. Not because we can't do it. I, I, I believe in this room alone, there's enough talent Enough intelligence, enough uh, energy, uh, the creativity that God has put in all of you. When you put everything together, you could go take Southern California. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. You, maybe, maybe you're shocked that I would say something like that. Jesus said, I am with you to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I'll never desert you. Is the backing of God not enough? All the power in heaven is ready to back you up to go represent him. Is that not enough backing? You think you need more than that? Where are you going to get more than that? New York? No. Nowhere. You got all the power in heaven behind you. That's why the writer of Acts said, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And you shall be my witnesses unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So God, the Holy Spirit, has come. And if you, when you went from death to life, you got Jesus, you got God the Father, you got the Holy Spirit. God is dwelling in you. And the power of the Holy Spirit has, given you, has been given you specifically to be a witness. That's great. That means you can go anywhere and preach. If you don't know how, come with me. I'll teach you. Think I'm kidding? I've taken a lot of people. And uh, I've never had anybody go and not lead people to Christ. And the funnest thing, you know what the funnest thing is? Going into a Muslim village and preaching the, the gospel and telling them, Muhammad can't save you. He's dead. He's in a tomb. When you make a pilgrimage to Mecca, which you've done, some of you have done, wearing that cap tells me that you've done that, and you've gone to visit the grave of a dead man. I've been to Jesus' tomb. It's still empty. Nobody's there. He's risen. You know, I've done that so many times. It, it, the first time I thought, this, well, this may be the last time I ever speak. <laughs> I, I said, if we're going to make it, if, we're gonna, if I'm going out here, I'm going to make it a good one. <laughs> and uh, I've done it so many times that it's not even, even it's just fun. So we have the dead that are judged in this passage, and there's the, the book of life, and then there's the books, and God judges, is your name in the book of life? No? Well, let's talk about your works, and, uh, and so they ha- God will have the conversation with them, but let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We've, we've seen the judgment for the dead, now there ought to be a judgment for the living, who are the living? The dead are those that did not trust Christ. The living are those that did trust Christ. And he, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what is done, whether good or bad. So we, meaning all believers in Christ that have been made alive, now we're going to have to go to a different judgment, that is the judgment seat of Christ. And this is a family judgment. And uh, so there, we're going to be uh, accountable for our service, uh, what we do with all the opportunities that we have, with all the talents we have, with all our whole package. And God has given, uh, given you uh, this package to use. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5, starting there. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants. What's Bob? What's Ted? Servants. That's all we are. Paul says, servants through whom you believe. All we did was bring the message to you and you believe the message. We're just servants. 
as a believer in Christ, you never get higher than being a servant. That's the highest you can get. Jesus said, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? How do you get to be the greatest in the kingdom? Nobody knows? Be the servant of all. That's how you get. Did Jesus rebuke the disciples for wanting to be great in the kingdom? No, he did not. He, re, he rebuked them for the way they got, thought they could get there. Being great in the kingdom is open to everyone, every one of you that's a believer in Christ. You can, and he wants you to have ambition. He wants you to seek greatness. Do it the right way. Be a servant of all. And you can be great in the kingdom. So you get, to, you get to be great by humility and service. It's a little different than the world, isn't it? Madison Avenue doesn't reward humility and service, but God does. Paul writes, I planted Apollos water, but God was the one causing the growth. God makes it work. When you're his servant and you go tell the gospel, God will make it work. God will, God's the one that brings the power, and he will never fail to show up and bring the power when you trust him and go. Whether it's next door or around the world, wherever you go, wherever God takes you, go and represent him, and he will make it work. Because that's his job, and he promises to do so. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So I'm not going to be rewarded for your labor, and you're not going to be rewarded for my labor. Each one, this is God's... uh, economy of, uh, of work. He wants you to work, and you're going to get rewarded for it. God will not be a debtor to you. You will not be able to say to God, I served you, and you didn't do anything for me. Not only will he give to you now and reward you now here with things you don't even imagine, but he will reward you in heaven at the judgment seat. The judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to, it'll be according to your labor, your own labor, no one else's. Uh, I kind of like that uh, because it's, I'm not penalized for your slothfulness. You don't have to be slothful. I know too many Christians are slothful about serving Jesus. They may, be, they, they may work hard in business and make a pile of money. When you die, how much do you take with you? Nothing. Paul said, naked I came into this world, naked I leave. There are no pockets in shrouds. 
according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, uh, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident when? For the day, what's that day? Judgment seat of Christ. will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If the man's work, if any man's work which he has done uh, remains, he will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, he'll suffer loss, yet he himself will be saved, so as through fire. You can't lose that salvation, even if you show up for a bad report at the judgment seat of Christ about your service. Think of it as a barbecue pit. I learned yesterday you like to barbecue too. I think everybody in the world likes to barbecue. And uh, I've not been to a place that doesn't like to barbecue. And I found out from Ted he likes barbecue. And so imagine there Jesus has a big barbecue pit and you come with all your service we're not talking about your sin because that was judged at the cross, but all your service, you come and you say, here's all my service. And he said, well, throw it on the, throw it on the, on the pit there. And there's, you know, big grating and you throw it on the, on there and it goes, if it's wood, hay, straw, what happens? <laughs> Gone. If it's gold, silver, precious stones, meaning good things, what happens? Nothing. It just sits there. It doesn't burn up. And whatever remains, God says, I'll give you a reward. Now, there ought to be something there that's good because God has made you to do that good thing. The first verse we looked at, Ephesians 2.10, he has prepared good things for you to do so that when you Show If you do them, when you show up at the judgment seat of Christ and you throw your service on the fire, it's going to stay there and you're going to get a reward. Uh, I like that. I can live a purposeful life, which is something I always wanted that, to have was purpose and meaning, and then I get rewarded uh, for it. In Revelation 19, 7 and 8, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. God has prepared you for this work and then Part of the reward is that you get to make your garments in heaven now by your good works. Ladies, you like garments? Of course you do. Garments don't stir my pot much, but um, my wife likes to dress fancy. It's your works that sew your garments in heaven. That's a cool thought, isn't it? It's, you know, the parable of the stewards, the 
God, there were three of them, and he entrusted them each with different amounts. And two of them went out and produced something. And the third one didn't do anything. He hid it. And the, the evaluation of the first two was, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You've been over a little, I'll give you, I'll put you over much. And to the other one that did nothing with what he was given, he said, you suck. <laughs> At least you should have gotten me some interest. You did nothing. Take, take it away from him and give it to the guy with ten. Now, Jesus always tells the truth. Is he not going to tell the truth at the judgment seat of Christ? He's going to tell you the truth about you to your face. I, I think about this a lot. I'm hoping that when he gets there, he doesn't say, Bob, I'm ashamed of you. You didn't put forth a good effort. You didn't, that, wasn't even, that wasn't a good game. You didn't, you didn't play hard. I hope that instead he says, Bob, come here, boy. <laughs> you know, when you, when you, any of y'all have boys and you, you want to talk to them when they're little, I can't do it. I can't do it to Timmy anymore. When they were little, I used to grab them by the side of their cheeks and hold them so they couldn't turn their head away and make them look me in the eye. Now he would just flick me off. But can you imagine the Son of God grabbing you by the head and say, look you in the eye and say, I'm so proud of you? What? What? That's a resume day right there. Everybody likes to write a resume and they lie about it. It's the lying sheet. But when the Son of God writes a resume out for you at the judgment seat of Christ, it won't be a lie. It'll be the truth. And he'll say, whatever's appropriate, I, I'd like to get that attaboy. I don't really care about the ruling and reigning part. I just want the affirmation. But there's only one way to get it, being a servant. You have been made for a purpose. There is no one else on the planet that can do what God has planned for you to do, because only you can do it. He's not going to say, well, Ted didn't do it. I'll give it to somebody else. I'll give it to Joe. No, it will, get, it will not get accomplished, because Joe's already got an agenda. No, nobody else can. It's enough to do what God has made you for. You can't go pick up somebody else's agenda. Your agenda's full, full time. 
It's your life. And it's a life full of meaning and purpose and good things. And you don't get to heaven by doing those good things. You get purpose by doing those good things. And you get rewarded for doing those good things. This is, this is the most meaningful truth for the Christian life. Because rightly understood, it would be for us to live a great life. How can you have a greater life than doing what God specifically made you to do? If God said it's good, it's good. When he made the first six days, he made everything, and he said, day by day, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's all very good. Imagine how the adjective he'll put with good when he says about your life and what you do if you do what he has planned for you to do. When he gets to the end, I can imagine he says, that's very, very, very good. Wouldn't you like that? Go do it. 